Good morning, everyone. Glad to see everybody here. Um, I think I, I think I am gonna do this real quick. Um, Ken, get the mic, get the mic available. Um, who's a good reader? Who would like to read? I need a couple verses, but we're gonna go pretty quick, and I'm not gonna have time to turn to them necessarily. You got it, Floyd. Go for it. Um, there's gonna be a Job 35:12. Um, Ray, would you look up Proverbs 128? Um, since y'all are right there, we'll just switch mics back and forth. And then there's going to be an Isaiah 115. Um, I, I feel like there's this is this, we had this uh, um, went sat in this class for a, well it wasn't a class but it was a public speaking type thing. And one of the there's three points that I put on every one of the messages that I get to. Uh, y'all don't see them. Um, but I, they're reminders for me, and the middle one is condense, um, and that's going to be a struggle this morning, because there is a lot of things that's kind of spread out, but I just hope that we can get there. So even the connection, even the beginning, even the opening might be a little bit speedy, but I, I just want to thank everybody for your, um, your desire to represent Jesus. Thank you for that desire to... Um, I. Uh, to follow in his steps. I know there's days when it's uh, harder and, and it's been spoken of here this morning. I'm also very grateful for those <clears throat> who've been involved um, in, in, in mission work outside of the local community because I think that's a, that's, that has to happen. Local community ministry has to happen. But thank you for those who've been involved in other places. Carl, appreciate that. Um, Kenton with Kingdom Channels. I was involved um, last weekend, really, really enjoyed my uh, Sunday last week, even though being gone from my family and from y'all, um, to hear uh, a group of other people speak about different, uh, it was kind of like um, the spring gathering thing with the, uh, um, with the uh, different involvements that churches have had, and that's great, but to sit and hear these other ministries from other places too um, was very, very uplifting, and just to see the excitement for people in 1040 window, there were numerous people that mentioned that. Um, and uh, it, it was a blessing to see that, to hear that, but yet also not to be like, well, what am I doing here in Halifax County? No, that actually building on that, like that, that we are missionaries everywhere. And, and I'm sure that affected some of those thoughts that come out here this morning. <clears throat> but uh, I guess if there is a text, we're going to go to John 9. Um, the, the title of our message this morning would be called uh, In Need of Healing. Um, there, there's a lot of different, again, it's kind of broad, it's kind of scattered, and I hope you all can bring it home, and I hope at some point that uh, the Holy Spirit would just show you something that you specifically need this morning in, in one way or another. John 9 is one of my favorite, one of my favorite stories in, um, in probably the New Testament, just this, this whole back and forth. This was the man who was born blind, and his disciples said, you know, who sinned, him or his parents. And, and, and so this is later on in the story, you know, the kind of the back and forth that takes place with the Jews. It refers to him as the Jews here. There's this back and forth going on. <clears throat> and they're questioning, you know, who is this guy? Who, who healed you? He's like, I don't know. I mean, he, I think he, I heard him sound like he spit on the ground. He made mud, puts it on my eyes. Kind of gross, I think. But, but then he told me to go. I couldn't see nothing. He told me to go to the pool and wash him out. And it says that, you know, he came back. And I, I was thinking when I read that this week, I'm thinking, you know what? The, how many firsts happened for this dude on the way back from the pool? I mean, maybe even be, before that. I don't know how many people spit on the ground, made mud, and put it on his eyes. That might have been a first, too. Um, 
but he's coming back from the pool and I wondered, it says, and he returned. That was the verse, um, what verse says that? Um, The pool received, this is verse 12, and they said, uh, sorry. Um, So he went, this is verse 7, and he went and washed and came back seeing. So one of the first that he would have had, he could see. Um, but I'm like, so it just says he came back, and I'm like, there had to be other firsts on the way there. Surely he didn't just walk back. I mean, he would have been comfortable with the area, right? But surely he didn't just walk back to this place where Jesus was <clears throat> and, um, uh, and just, you know, looking for Jesus. Like, I wonder, did he run for the first time? Like, you know, if he knows the area real, real well, you know, maybe he experienced some running. I don't know. But if he's a beggar and he's just sitting most of the time, I don't know how much he did much of that. But I wonder if he's like, like, I just, I'm, I can run. It doesn't say he ran, but that crossed my mind. I'm like, I'm, I think my man ran for the first time seriously on the way back. I don't know. Maybe he couldn't run that very good. Um, he gets back. He's having this conversation with the Jews. Who is this? What is going on? They're almost interrogating him, right? Like, what happened? How are you healed? And, and he makes a statement, a couple of them, that I really, really like. One of my favorite phrases in verse 25, he said, you know, was this guy a sinner or, or, or not? I said, I, I don't know if he's a sinner or not, but one thing I know, that I was blind, now I see. One of my favorite verses in the, all the Bible. But then he gets on coming on down there, and they're interrogating him some more. What about this? What about this? Well, who, who, we don't know him. He's, you know, we don't know where he came from. Um, and so that starting in verse 31 of John 9, they ask him some questions. Well, let's start in verse 30. And the man, um, let, me, let me just back up one more verse, uh, two more verses, then to verse 28. Then they reviled him and said, you are his disciples, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not, where he, do not know where he comes from. And the man answered and said to him, why, this is a marvelous thing. I like how he says, I'm just like wondering if all of a sudden he's like, his eyes have been opened in a whole new way. Not just his physical eyes, but maybe the eyes of his heart. I'm like these spiritual leaders, they are perplexed about this. And I'm starting to see this. This is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from, yet he opened my eyes. Now verse 31, this is kind of the key verse of, or the focus, I guess. And he says, now we know, this is the blind, former blind man speaking. Now we know that God does not hear sinners but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. And I read that, and I'm like, so what is, what is he thinking? Like, is that, a, is that a theological discussion? Or like, it says that God doesn't hear sinners. And he made this statement. And so I'm like, so was it, where did that come from? Because I would, you know, I would understand New Testament, you know, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, you know, that's a sinner confessing God hears. He will hear. So I'm like, so what, it was, what was in this guy's what was his worldview that he would make a statement that God don't listen to sinners? God don't hear sinners. Um, and so then there's a couple of these verses, and these are the verses I want you to read. So this is, um, he makes a statement, God doesn't hear sinners. Job 35, verse 12. So we're going to read some Old Testament verses there. <clears throat> Go ahead, Tim. Yeah. Because of their pride of evil men. Uh, Ray, Proverbs 128. Then they will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but will not find me. Okay. Can you go to Isaiah 115 there? So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. Because your hands are covered with blood. 
um, the King James for the verse that um, Ray read kind of talks about um, we, we don't want knowledge or we don't want, we don't want to, we, they, you're, the reason I'm not hearing you is because I took it because you don't want to grow. You don't want to learn. You don't want to pursue me. You don't want to pursue knowledge. Um, and also, I'm not going to listen. And so, obviously, these verses are for random places in the Old Testament, but that's kind of heavy. So, so even points where the last verse said, you will call, you will spread your hands in prayer to me, and I'm not going to hear. Now, if each one of those you go back and read, there's a context to all of them, right? Um, and all of them have a story, all of them have a background, and, and, which is why we're trying to condense it down, right? Um, but there's clearly this uh, um, impression that is said numerous times that God will not hear or God will not listen. Um, Isaiah 59, this would be a place that I would really like y'all to go with me um, if you could. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. <clears throat> Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save, nor his ear heavy that he can't hear. But your iniquities have separated you from God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. goes on to say numerous reasons why that is. Some things they are involved with go down through the chapter, some heavy stuff. Basically, you're not walking in my steps. And, and it's not that I can't hear you. I'm not sure way the way this version... Um, you got it right there, Tim? What is, do you have that right there? Uh, Isaiah 59, um, verse 1. What is it, what's it say for, nor his ear is heavy? I'm curious what another translation. Does somebody have another translation? Dull, yeah. And, and there's, a, there's a, a reference that refers to dull of hearing. That God is not, he's not, he can't hear nothing. Uncle Jim, I see you got those things in there. So hopefully you can hear me this morning. God's saying, it's not because my, I can't hear. My ears ain't heavy. I, I, can, I can hear you. But there is something that is separating us from each other or from me hearing you. And it's sin. Pretty, pretty heavy stuff. <clears throat> so who does God hear? This is, this is going back to the theology, theology of a former blind man. Do you remember what, what we read there at the, in verse 31? So go back to John 9, verse 31. He says, now we know that God doesn't hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and a doer of his will, God hears him. And I wonder, you know, how, again, what is this, what's, what's, what's this blind man's past experience leading him to make these kind of statements? Is it more just a questioning type thing? And that's what I got when I was reading it this time around. I'm like, this questioning of like, what, what, who does God hear? And how does that connect with me being healed? Like, how, how does that all tie in? I'm, like, how is God working? I don't know if, if, I mean, he does say right previous to this, this is a marvelous thing. What's going on here? He says that God hears those who are worshipers of him and, and somebody who does God's will. Matthew 5, or sorry, Matthew 15, 8 and 9 we're going to keep building on this. 15, 8, and 9 is a direct quote from, um, oh, that's on my scratch pad. I don't have that on here. But um, Matthew 15, 8, and 9 is a reference back to Isaiah. Um, this same prophecy was given. So this is Matthew 15, 8, and 9 says, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips. But their heart is far from me, and in vain 
they worship me. And then it goes on to say, because they are teaching doctrines, the commandments of men. But that is a direct reference to Isaiah, um, where that same, state, the same statement was used. They, they, they honor me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips. They say my name, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship. This blind man said, well, this guy has to be a worshiper of God because I'm healed. Like that made sense to him. This has to add up. He is a worshiper of God. You know, there are multiple um, healings that Jesus did, um, and I'm going to reference a few of them. And if, and if y'all would look these up, if you write them down and read this, again, there's a whole story to these, but I'm going to give them to you, and all of these have something in common. So the first one was a leper in Matthew 8, 2. A leper comes to him, and it says he worshipped him and asked him to be healed. Asked Jesus that he would be healed. If you read the same account in Mark 1, 40, I like this, that that same guy, it says he implored Jesus, please heal me. But it says that he came to him and worshipped. The ruler um, in Matthew 9, 18, who his daughter was dying, comes to him, it says, and worshipped him that his daughter would be healed. Um, so I know we're bouncing around here a little bit, but go to Matthew, go back to Matthew 15, verse 25. This is just several verses after Jesus made the quote about referring to the people who honor him with their mouths, but their lips and their lips, but their heart is far from me. So this is <clears throat> this is about a woman whose whose daughter uh, was demon possessed. I'm sorry, I said 15. I meant Matthew 25. No, Fred Ondorf. Matthew 15, 25. We're on board now. So then this woman, um, she cried out to him, verse, starting in verse 22, Having mercy, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not, because he was in another place at this point. He answered her not. And his disciples came to him. I love this whole back and forth. The disciples came to him and answered and said, I will... Um, just send her away, for she continues to cry after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So there's this, what is Jesus referring to? He's, he's not here for the other people too? Um, and then she came and worshipped him saying, Lord, help me. When I read that, this is actually kind of, I guess, where this whole message came from. I read that earlier. And this phrase, Lord, help me, um, sounded super desperate. And then so right away my mind starts going with all these different avenues, different ways. I'm like, what, does that mean that true worship, because it says she came and worshipped him and said, Lord, help me. I wondered, like, is, is true worship, is genuine worship like out of a cry of desperation? And I know for myself it has been like that at times. I'm coming before him, I got nothing. I have no idea what to do. Know what's, know what, don't know what's coming. <clears throat> Cole, I need, I need some water, dude. I've never, I've never struggled with this, but I am struggling this morning. Um, it's the pollen. No, I think it's because I'm pretty uh, attached to this. Um, she came and worshipped, and she said, Lord, help me. Sounds desperate. And so does genuine worship, is it, is, it, is it always desperate? Or is there this point of like, Uncle Dave, you said this morning, if you're on a mountaintop, 
You know, put this in, what do you say? What was the term you used? Yeah, put it in your tool bag, because you're going to need it, in other words. But, but does that... Are we only desperate when, when things are out of our control? And I, I would say probably. But there's this whole thing, this, this posture of worship that really started messing with me this week. Like, like maybe, maybe genuine worship is a constant reminder of, or a constant, yeah, a constant reminder of knowing who he is and knowing who I am, even if things are going good. And maybe there should be a form of desperation in all of our worship. Um, and I, I'm not saying that, you know, that we always got to be broke down and on our knees. I'm not saying that specifically. But what if, thank you, bud, what if, what if our posture of worship would be out of desperation and necessity, even when things are good? <clears throat> it's a pretty neat thing. <clears throat> That Jesus does heal. There's this back and forth, and that's the whole thing about the breadcrumbs. That's the next couple verses. And she's like, well, I mean, even the little dogs catch the breadcrumbs from the kids that they drop. <clears throat> In our house, that's intentional at times. About dropping them. And I don't know exactly all the points Jesus was trying to prove or maneuver here, but I do know that he saw a woman who was desperate. And, and, and came and worshipped him. And I wondered how our desperation, our need of healing, ties in with worship. Nehemiah 9. This would probably be another verse, another thing that you should probably go with, with me on. Nehemiah 9. Um, the chapter before this, it's Ezra reading the law. So they got, at this point, if you're familiar with the story of Nehemiah, the wall's built. The wall's taken care of at this point. But there's a lot of other things transpiring right here. And, and the chapter prior to this, Ezra is, is reading the law. And there's a lot of this. There's, there's this great service that's going on of some kind. But uh, Nehemiah 9, starting in verse 1, says, Now on the 24th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembling with fasting in sackcloth, with dust on their heads, then those of Israelite lineage separated themselves from the foreigners, and they stood and confessed their sins and iniquities of their father. And they stood up in this place and read from the book of law of the Lord their God for one-fourth of the day, and for another fourth they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. Desperation might look different to all of you. Um, and depending what area of your life you're in or what you're dealing with at the time. But this really feels like um, a group of people who are desperate to hear from God. And they directly tied in the confessing of their sins with that. I heard somebody this week, another preacher <clears throat> from... I'm not actually sure where the church was, but he made a statement about confessing of sins. They have started doing something at their church. A confessing of sins is, is part of their worship. And I'm like, well, what does that look like? What, what does that exactly mean? I'd heard, this had nothing to do with what I was studying. I just heard it on, a, on another sermon I was listening to, and, and it hit me. I'm like, wait, 
as I was reading all it, it came back to me. Like what how how like I've never connected I've never connected worship with repentance exactly. Like it's like if somebody says, Boy, that was great worship this morning. That was a great time of worship. What does that mean? Usually it's songs that really mean a lot to you, or or somebody shares that encouraging whatever it might be, and we're praising God. Um but I've never said, you know what? It was good worship because so-and-so got up and confessed things that they're dealing with. Um, because that's, that puts us out there. That stretches things. Um, and that, that doesn't necessarily feel like that's the kind of worship that would be that somebody would write home about. Man, we had a great worship service this morning because Bob got up and shared how he hated somebody or did something to somebody, whatever it might be. I said Bob because nobody's here with that word but it really started, really started messing with me, I guess, in, in a positive way of, of just this, of this, of this perspective of what worship, worship could mean and how that ties in with our need for healing. All of these that I've mentioned here, all these people who were in need of healing for themselves or for somebody else, they came with a posture of worship, of knowing who God was and tying that in with this thing of confessing and, and how this always is. Um, so then we go New Testament. So James... James 5, 13 to 16, you all know that. Um, let, me just, let, me just, let me just start at verse 13, kind of this whole thing of this is what church or this is how it should look like when you all get together. This is James 5, 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing songs. Let anyone, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. A direct connection to healing in confessing. Now, I, before anybody gets too excited, I'm not saying that specifically our sins have put us in a, have made us sick. So if you're sick, it's not, I'm not saying it's because of sins, and there are people that would believe that. I'm not saying that. I'm saying this kind of healing that I would understand James is referring to is so much more. We just talked about the physical right before this, right? We just talked about this. We're talking about the, the, the healing that needs to take place in our hearts from our sins or things that have been done to us. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now tie that in with everybody's posture that came to Jesus of worship. They came in worship. They says, it says they worship Jesus and ask for healing. And, and Now there was all connected to physical healing. I understand that. But there is something so very, very powerful about this. And it's something that um, I have not done a great job at. Um, one of the songs, actually the first song Uncle David sang that, or led this morning, if you have sin that is hidden to others, tell it to Jesus, tell it to Jesus alone. And I, that's what we need. That's all we need. I'm saying that. But when we read that verse, I'm like, boy, I'm going against that on this one. Not because I think that's wrong, because it clearly matters between me and me confessing to Christ. But, but these other verses and, and corporate worship and how confess, confessing and repentance was tied to their worship, like I don't think we ignore that. 
Even Again, I, I'm okay with that song. Amen. Because it matters what I say to my Savior. That's number one as far as confessing. But these other, these other places in Nehemiah and then in James, it's actually instructing us to do that. And I, I, I'm here this morning to say that I, I think there is more, and I'm not saying everybody else believes this, but I think there is more to that than what I've ever gave it place for in my own life. That, that this thing of worship, corporate worship, and this thing of kneeling, needing to be healed or restored is, is connected in these several places about a public confession, uh, uh, um, an openness with our brothers and sisters. Now, I'm not saying that has to happen in a church setting like this, but it clearly says confess your faults one to another. So I, I, am, I, I am saying something that I don't know that I've ever really said but I think genuine worship is recognizing my need of a Savior, but also need of renewal or confession to Him. And I think those go hand in hand. 